Every one of us has a different story of the dogs we share our homes with. Every one of us gets lost among the amount of advice you hear. Follow me on this podcast where people share their real stories and professionals educate to make a life with the dog less of a guesswork. So, who are we talking about today? Your dog or mine? I know you missed me, so welcome back to Your Dog or Mine podcast. And today I have actually a very interesting episode with Joe Lawrence. So Joe is a British force-free gun dog trainer, um, and she's a member of multiple organizations, which I'm not going to list right now. However, I really, really wanted to talk to her because she's committed to force-free methods. And I feel like when I got into gun dog training and started reading more about it and just getting more information about it, it, it was very, very hard to find anyone or any sort of um sources that would give you a little more like force-free ways in training gun dogs but i know we're going to be talking a little bit about competitions but the main focus of this podcast was to talk about pet gun dogs meaning that every probably single one of you that got a gun dog or gun dog breed i'm talking about spaniels retrievers uh, my hpr so vigilas famer runners um there's obviously more breeds but you probably know what you have at home so for those people who got these breeds to be pets and those who are not necessarily really concerned about participating in field trials and and competitions that but still one you know a nice and controlled dog in urban environments or maybe you're just sitting right now and you're really really struggling with getting your dog's focus um getting them to calm down because i bet at least 50 percent of the you who are listening to this right now have a dog that just seems to be an athlete and they just can't calm down at all so this podcast is for you how about we listen um let me know what you think and as always i'm just gonna ask for a little favor for a little sky <laughs> if you like this podcast please 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 give a wee follow or maybe leave us a wee rating on spotify or apple podcasts and be friendly with your friends if there's something that resonated with you share that on your socials um and yeah without further ado as always let's go We actually got so many questions from members that I didn't expect. Well, I kind of thought that they're going to, you know, submit a couple, but I got loads. So I'm really excited for this. Um, Just to hear your opinion on what we're going to ask a lot of different questions, by the way. Okay. (laughs) So I hope you're ready for that. I'm totally ready. Um, Yeah, I'll do my best. But before that, can you, I mean, I tried to present you in the best (laughs) way that I know, but can you just, I'm just, just going to bring you back in time when you started gun dog training and see if you remember why was it exactly gun dog? Because especially now, I feel like there's so much you can do with your dog. Like you can do agility, send work, anything. So why gun dog training? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I think it's a question which is really relevant to probably lots of people listening as well. Because when I got, a, like our first dog was, was a Weimaraner. Her name was Slate. And we knew that we wanted to do something with her because we were told that Weimaraners were really intelligent dogs. And, you know, if you wanted your house to stay intact, then you should probably, <laughs> you should probably do something with the dog so that they have yeah. sort of an outlet for their physical and mental energy. 
So we kind of checked out lots of different dog sports. We checked out obedience and we checked out agility and we checked out working trials, which is not gun dog work. But um, right. yeah, it's kind of a, a multidisciplinary sport, let's say. Um, and we checked out gun dog stuff as well. And I think what we realized is that what we most wanted with our dog generally is sort of control over the dog out and about, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in a rural environment with your yeah. dog. And it's possible to have a dog which is super brilliant at agility or super brilliant at, I don't know, competitive obedience or something. And, you know, doesn't listen to you when you're out and about, like runs off and chases rabbits or eats dead things or goes to play with the dogs. So that I think we just lazy, basically. We just wanted to have it all. We wanted a dog <laughs> sport, which was also going to equip us with excellent control over our dog on a sort of day to day and day to day life, really. So so gun dog stuff appealed to us for that reason um i think also my partner adam is a really good cook and i think the sort of field <laughs> field to plate aspect of things also appealed to us that's amazing um, yeah <laughs> um so, yeah so see when like when you got your first dog was that your first dog sorry yes that was our first dog so but you already lived in a kind of rural environment no 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 we lived in the middle of the city so we lived in in brighton so no we weren't we didn't live anywhere rural we lived in the middle of central brighton right near the train station and we had like a small patio garden um i mean our dogs didn't even toilet in the garden because it was so small we had to put them on leash and then take them out into the street to go to the toilet so that was like how small our house was and they basically lived on the ground floor of our house because we had like this three-story house but we stairgated them in on the ground floor which was the lounge so yeah every day we would put them in the car and we'd drive out to the countryside to outside brighton and we would exercise them and train them and then drive back into central brighton so so no we didn't live in a rural environment (laughs) no that's amazing because i feel like a lot of well especially our members are like people that train with us they're in they can relate to that because um we train city dogs basically we don't we, like we do train a couple that live outside of the city but most of them are very high energy dogs that just live in those urban environments so and we actually got one of one of the questions was just in your opinion do, can dogs or like well gun dog breeds can they be are they good as pets for like city life and i think you kind of answered a little bit that it's possible but is there something that maybe people should consider before they're getting any like think spaniels or any of them yeah definitely um so the first thing that i I mean it like if you research these breeds online and you google you know what how much exercise does this dog need or whatever everything that you find online will say this dog needs like two hours of exercise a day or three hours (laughs) of exercise a day or something um which i think is really misleading so none of my dogs have ever got the recommended amount of physical exercise a day that that happens on these websites i think what happens and the reason this is a problem is i think that people get these dogs and they think oh this dog needs three hours of exercise a day and so they try to take it out to the countryside and give it all that exercise every day and then what happens is the dog just starts to learn to chase things and to explore the environment and you know, before you know it, the hunting instincts have taken over and all those environmental reinforcers have led the dog astray and you end up with a dog which is out of control. And that's because people are trying to give it this amount of exercise. So, it, you know, they don't need that amount of exercise. They need much less exercise, physical exercise. What they need is, is so mental or psychological exercise and physical exercise. And they need that on a daily basis. 
So as long as you can give that to them somehow, then you can live with them in a city. But I mean, it's going to be difficult. Like some places in America, for example, in the US, it's they have leash laws where dogs are not even allowed off leash. And that's going to be really difficult for these breeds. So, you know, as long as your dog is allowed off leash or at least you can have them trailing yeah. a long line, and as long as they can actually get that physical exercise, then where they actually sleep doesn't make any difference. You know, like the size yeah. of your house and the size of your garden is completely irrelevant. If you exercise your dog well and train your dog well, then when they're home, they're just going to sleep. It doesn't really matter how big your garden is or your house is, as long as you're able to take them out to somewhere where they can get their, their physical and mental needs met on a daily basis, then you're fine. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned online information online, because I feel like the majority of people that get any gun dog breed, they kind of get it because they live an active lifestyle and they just want a dog to match that or like go on adventures together. But at least what we see a lot in here is that people maybe underestimate. So like you said, it's maybe they're underestimate of how much mental simulation the dog's going to need. So then you have this kind of like a person working nine to five, um, they take the dog for a 40 minute walk or they go on a hike on a Sunday um, the rest of the time they want a dog to just be calm nice and, and sleep <laughs> yeah the day. and yeah or, or the other option is that people just start increasing exercise to obnoxious amounts and we have so many like I don't know well actually do you think that we can create like exercise junkies dogs yes. that just need more and more and more yeah absolutely I mean let's sort of like athletes aren't they so like the more yeah. exercise you give them the more exercise they're going to want and basically these dogs will always want a bit more exercise than whatever you give them so even if yeah. you're giving them four hours a day they'll probably want like four and a half hours a day so <laughs> so you know it doesn't really why not give them i don't know one hour a day and leave them wanting one hour and 20 minutes or something instead you know <laughs> yeah it will have yeah. the same effect so I mean, they really do get used to, as long as their minimal exercise needs are met, physical and sort of psychological, then they really do get used to what is available on a, on a sort of daily basis, you know? So don't yeah. make a crutch for your own back, really. Is, is, yeah. So see, when it comes to like, well, that's, that's an interesting topic for me because I come from a little bit different background. So I worked with rescues for a couple of years and then moved to dog. <laughs> and that's a whole different world but um I remember myself saying never never I'm never in a million years gonna buy a working line dog so and that's another thing that people research a lot on the internet so when they see that right this breed is gonna need I don't know two hours of exercise but there's also difference between the working line show lines pet lines do you see that a lot or like do you see the differences in that because Obviously, there's going to be big difference in like physical appearance, but when it comes to behavioral side, like, or is it just blended together? And that these days, all these like lines. Um, no, there's definitely a big. There's definitely a big difference. I mean, yeah, and I mean, when I ran classes, it was very apparent. Sometimes you get people who, you know, they just got a Labrador and they didn't realize that there were difference you know, strains of Labrador, and they ended up with a really sort of high energy dog, which they found really difficult to control. And maybe they're, you know, maybe they're an elderly couple, and they just wanted a sedate dog. And they ended up with this, you know, high energy bouncing off the walls kind of working yeah. line Labrador. Yes, I mean, that happens. I mean, it's also quite different from one breed to another. So some breeds have very different split lines between working and show and some breeds 
a more of a mishmash blend. And some of the breeds which are a mishmash blend are more sort of suited to working than others. And some of the mishmash has been, um, I, I would say, ruined by the show world, who's kind of bred out the working instincts yeah. quite a lot. So, um, yeah. I love I mean, the very, mishmash. <laughs> yeah, it's very important to kind of research the particular breed that you're interested in and, you know, how separate are the working and show lines and what sort of dogs are these dogs? You know, try and get a sense of, of that if, you're, if you are considering a particular breed. So, could you name a few, like, the the ones that are actually very distinct, like the working and show lines or, like, the yeah, pets so, in the working line? I mean, Labradors, for example, obviously there's a very clear difference there between the working and the show lines. Um, spaniels, most of the Spaniel breeds are very different yeah. working and show lines. The HBR breeds are a bit more interesting in that if you speak to HBR enthusiasts, they'll often say, oh, these dogs are dual purpose. But you have to really <laughs> dig a bit deeper than that because dual purpose usually means that they've mostly been bred for show, frankly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the HBR breeds have been, you know, taken over by the show world and they've been bred mostly for appearance and the working ability has faded out quite a lot. I mean, it, it does differ from one breed to another. Our breeds like GSPs still have great working lines. Um, Wirehead visualists still have great working lines. Vimeran is, you know, I found that in, in America, there are great working lines of Vimeranas and in Europe as well, some of them. The UK has bred largely for the show for so long that if, if the pedigree has a lot of UK only dogs on it, then it's going to be largely show bred. So, you know, you've got to really kind of do your research into the individual breeds. Um, and Probably sort of into breeders as well, because they're going to be very, very different. Like, I know personally quite a few breeders that are focusing just on appearance and you know you don't really know what your behavior yeah. wise like you do you might not exactly get what you're thinking of or um yeah it's still a little bit misleading because I had a, myself a couple of cases where people actually bought, bought a working cocker spaniel because they thought that well this is the way they, it was presented to them it, it's going to be more active dog so if you go on hikes you know more active dog and then yeah. they really really struggle in between those hikes as a joke yeah um, yeah just because they they got a working dog for a pet life <laughs> yeah i mean the problem that's the problem with people who want to do that like because that was very very common like people have an active life and they want to they want to have walks and go on hikes and adventures and stuff and so they they get a dog which they think is very high energy because that's going to suit them and the yeah. thing is it's not because it's what you don't want to do with these working breeds is expose them to long periods of time with with ever-changing interesting environments where they can just go off and explore because they yeah. will get more and more addicted to what they're exploring and to the environmental reinforcers that they're discovering and that will just you know they just end up chasing rabbits and um i don't yeah. know eating cow poo and getting into trouble and ignoring their recall and you know if with these breeds you have to be like a control freak for like I don't know the first year or two of their life you have to be you know, every time we're outside in the rural environment we're training you know so unless these people want to, want to yeah. you know, unless you're prepared for that <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah so I mean there's no way that I would take a young high like dog which has been bred to work out and about with me on a walk for for probably many years <laughs> yeah um, that I feel like that's gonna be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of listeners <laughs> yeah <laughs> but Say we have Jen from Glasgow, okay? By the way, not referring to anyone that I know, right? <laughs> so, um, but she has 
a cocker spaniel that's going a little bit bonkers right now and she's like gun dog training what's that I know it's going to probably be hard for you to kind of put it in a few sentences but what can Jen expect if she signs up for a gun dog training what sort of maybe skills you'd be working on or you know what is gun dog training because that sounds like a fancy term I feel like for a lot of people well I think you know the thing to say on a very basic level is gun dog training is about teaching your dog to work with you outdoors and that's what you want like if you don't want your dog to run up to other dogs if you don't want your dog to chase rabbits and cows and sheep if you don't want your dog to eat poo and you know (laughs) then you want your dog to be able to work with you outdoors so all of these things if you if you train your dog to be a gun dog you're automatically encompassing training all training all of that stuff if you train your dog to do agility, for example, or comp- competitive obedience, not that I'm dissing these sports, they're fantastic things to do with your dog. Yeah. But if you train your dog to do those things, you're not necessarily going to have a dog which, you know, doesn't chase sheep, for example, because it's not part of the sport. Yeah. <laughs> so gun dog training, you know, if your dog chased sheep, you'd be out. So of a field trial, a yeah. competition or assessment. So, so you're, you're kind of training your dog to focus on you outdoors when you do gun dog training in any way and so even if you don't want to compete with your dog and even if you've no intention of you know going anywhere near a bird being in your dog's mouth for example or anything you know shooting with your dog you're still going to have skills which are really useful to you in a rural environment and that's what everybody wants I think with a dog yeah and even like yeah as you say in any environment because I'm instantly thinking you know if I can teach the dog that say a squirrel or a pigeon is a cue to sit instead of chase like that's already helping me when I live in the city because there are squirrels and there are pigeons <laughs> yeah I mean if you and can they're... teach your dog to walk at heel while birds are falling around you or dummies are being thrown all around you yeah. then you can ask your dog to walk at heel past a cake stall at the village fate it's, yeah. it's easy by comparison to do that do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. So, see, because you mentioned heel, I actually just want to touch a little bit on that because obviously, like, when you're in, just say, good manners class, um, the trainers are always going to tell you that heel and loose lead walking are completely different things. Um, do you, where, where are your maybe, like, views on that? Like, how much of a, like, pet dog, right, pet dog owner, how much they need to work on a heel? Do they need to? If they not, if they have no intentions, like competing, or is it just lose lead kind of general training that's going to be enough for them? Well, you don't you don't need to train your dog to do anything if you personally don't find it useful. So if you personally don't necessarily want your dog to even walk on a loose lead, you don't even need to train that. You can just have your dog as long as you put them on a harness, so it's not going to hurt them. You can have your dog pulling away in a harness if you like. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's up to like the individual person to decide what what skills they want their dog to have is they're not going to compete with the dog or work the dog or they don't have a reason to train this stuff um having said that i find it's much easier actually to train the dog to walk at heel than to train the dog to do least lead walking i find that heel is a very specific place um in relation to you it's like always level with your left leg and you know the dog it's very clear what the dog where the dog is supposed to be and what the dog is allowed to do or not allowed to do for example not allowed to sniff and fall out of position or you know so their head has to be up off the floor they have to be paying attention to you have to stop when you stop so it's got like it's very the criteria whether well they might seem quite high criteria they they are also very definite criteria and the 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 thing that's difficult for loosely walking is it's a much more of a gray area for the dog um in terms of where it's allowed to be how tight the lead is allowed to go for how long um you know all of this sort of stuff and i think dogs generally find that a lot harder concept to get 
um, I think like the dogs which can do loosely walking tend to be less high energy and they almost naturally just seem to do it. You know, there's a lot of dogs, yeah. which you just put the lead on them. And as long as they're not desperate to get somewhere, they're quite happy to walk along on a loose lead that they don't, they, they don't naturally try to pull you everywhere. Whereas high energy gun dog breeds will, you know, if you try and do loose lead walking with them, will will just try to tow you everywhere. If you're not like using the treats, because the differentiation that I make between loose lead walking and heel work, if we are going to make a differentiation is that with loose lead walking, I'm using environmental reinforcers usually rather than treats. So for forward, yeah. we're walking forward and walking forward will continue as long as the lead is loose. If the lead goes tight, we stop. Um, or if you want to reach that lamppost and have a sniff, we have to walk up to it on a loose lead. Whereas if we're doing heel work, the treats are coming from me. And that's why the dog is paying attention to me because I'm giving them the treats rather than the environment, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that heel work is, is easier for handlers to get their heads around because they're delivering the treats. And that's a lot more of a simple concept for most people rather than the environment providing the reinforcers. Um, and also the, for the dog, it's simpler because the criteria are clearer. Having said that, you don't want to do it for ages. So like if you, I don't know, want to walk around, um, I don't know, a town for 45 minutes or a village yeah. for 45 minutes or something, um, then to ask the dog to do that for 45 minutes and to remain at heel is, is really difficult for a lot of dogs. And you'd have to be clicking and treating and paying extreme attention to your dog and focusing on them. And, you know, the treats would have to be coming like every three to five seconds at first. Um, you know, it's very difficult for the dog to do all of that. And most people can't be bothered to do that. And they just want to stick the dog on the lead and have them with them while they're checking out the village fate or whatever, or, you know, walking around. And so that's where the whole loose leash walking comes in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the heel work thing is actually a really complicated and difficult subject, but it's also something that everybody wants to have, heel work or loose <laughs> walking or some version of that. Yeah. Um, and it's actually one of the hardest things to explain to people and most complicated things to explain to people. Yeah, I find that, like, well, I might be wrong, but what we found is, like, heel is much, much easier for any working breed, to be honest, like any high-energy breed, because, as you say, like, that... It's very clear what we want as opposed to lose lead walking, which, by the way, we've had plenty of like cases where, I don't know, a spaniel, a young spaniel can walk on a lose lead. But I feel like it's just so much clearer um, criteria. Like you just walk next to me, reach the point where long line, we go back into a heel, we pass that, as you say, cake shop. Um, and it's very like it's it's much easier for the dog first of all, um, and probably a little bit now when you mentioned probably a little bit easier for a handler as well because they just know what I'm rewarding when I'm rewarding, um, yeah, as opposed to lose lead walking like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. I think the ideal is that you know, try not to have your dog on a leash at your side for hours and hours if you have a high yeah. energy breed, you know. So just have it have, use your heel for short periods when you need control over the dog because i don't know you're crossing a road you put the leash on you walk your heel across the road take the leash off again um or there's a distraction coming or you know that sort of situation um and that's most closely replicates what would happen you know if you were on a shoot with a dog which hunts for the shot like a spaniel or hbr breed then you would put the dog you would ask the dog to walk at heel between drives for example so let's walk at heel yeah. to go to the next drive and then you go off hunting again and then you'd be at heel to the next drive and you go off hunting again so it's not like hours and hours at heel. Whereas if you've got the retriever breeds, they are expected to walk hours and hours at heel. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they are actually easier to train to walk at heel as well. See, um, this is... Sorry, yeah. go for it. <laughs> yeah, go. No, what were you going to say? No, I was just saying, like, even when I read your book, I was like, that 
the sports side of probably heel work was the most complicated thing that, <laughs> for me to digest because because yeah. of the breed differences um yeah and I was like you know we're lucky that pet dogs is pretty like clear and just wants to have a little bit of control over their dog <laughs> yeah and as opposed to yeah retrievers looking forward or not looking for you know all that yeah stuff that got really complicated at that point. yeah but I like they mentioned that um so I'm just thinking you know there, there's going to be people who maybe don't have gun dogs they have herders and other breeds and they're probably listening and saying that's what I want for my dog but so do you think gun dog training is pretty kind of universal training in general or is it very specific to gun dog breeds no I think it's universal on a basic level so like the basic gun dog basic gun dog training every breed of dog can do I mean there actually are like collies and terriers which work on shoots i mean people bring them along and they, and they work yeah. on shoots i've seen them um in the dalmatian so i mean there are like you know on that sort of fundamental level than any breed of dog but you know if you want to obviously compete with your dog if you want to have the creme de la creme and the best of the best and obviously you're going to need yeah. like a specialist breed <laughs> yeah but yeah the basic <laughs> on a basic level and a sort of have control out there in the environment level then it can be any breed so I know you're in classes. Do you have other breeds in your classes or is that a little bit less um, popular? I actually, I don't run classes anymore. I've just stopped running in-person classes just to focus more on teaching people online. But when I did right. run in- in-person classes, I've tried both versions of things. I have tried to run classes with all breeds and then I tried to have some gun dog only classes and then I went back to having all breeds again. So I've kind of done both versions of things. And why is that? Why did you get back to all breeds? <laughs> it was mostly, I mean, really, it was mostly because as people progress through classes, I mean, you probably find this yourself, as classes get more advanced, you get less people wanting to continue from one class to the next. So yeah. by the time you reach like the advanced classes, which you're actually most interested in teaching, you have the fewest number of people yeah. <laughs> left to teach. So I kind of reasoned that if I started out with only gun dogs, then there would be more people at the end wanting to continue into more advanced training. Whereas if I have a class, you know, if I can only take, for example, six people in a class and I have a mixed class of gun dogs and not gun dogs, then maybe there's only three people in that class with gun dogs. Then by the time we get to the end, there's less people who want to continue into the advanced classes. So that's, that was why. Um, But then I just felt like I was excluding too many people and there were lots of people who wanted to do the training as well. So I opened it back up again. So yeah. And and they probably do just as well to be honest. Well, Unless, as you say, it's like competition, you probably want a specific breed. But if it's just like a general training, general gun dog training, whatever, I, f- I think I've seen it called like different names, fun gun dog and things like that. Um, I think like other breeds can actually do some, sometimes maybe do a little bit better than <laughs> my Spaniel yeah. um, or any retrievers. So... I have a couple questions that I haven't actually covered. If we can just look at that. Yeah, I'm totally happy um, to keep answering. Yep. So one of the questions was, what age would you start the gun dog training with? So say that person has a puppy, right? And normally in, in dog training in general, like pet, pet dog training, we say start as soon as you get your puppy. So there's going to be obviously different criteria, but you want to start as early as possible. What about gun dog training yeah i mean it's really hard to separate gun dog training out from everything else to be honest for me i mean as soon as i get a puppy i'm teaching them to do all kinds of things like 
wait in their crate until they're released. I mean, that's just control, which you need in gundam training is you need a dog to wait until they're sent to retrieve or, or sit, be steady at the shot. Um, and, and teaching them to do the clicker retrieve as soon as they're, as soon as they've got their puppy teeth out and their adult teeth, then we can do the clicker yeah. retrieve. So, I mean, there's not, yeah, we're just building it all from the, from the very beginning with, with a puppy there's not like an age where we suddenly start doing it yeah um, is there anything that you wouldn't do with a puppy like certain exercises or because you know of the because they're still growing the joints and all that stuff um, is um, there anything that would exclude yeah we wouldn't do jumping probably but we probably wouldn't be doing that training wise anyway because there's lots of other skills we need to have before we can be teaching them to do that yeah. so yeah not walking for miles and miles and miles but that's the same thing as well so no there's not really anything that i wouldn't be doing Perfect. So start as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um. Oh, I I really love this question, and I was like, I was trying to guess the answer, but one person asked, if not gun dogs, what other group or breeds would you own? <laughs> um. Actually, <laughs> this is a bit funny. I've always wanted an Italian greyhound, actually. So that's been <laughs> right. <laughs> which is nothing to do. Yeah. I just think they're really funny dogs i mean i've had a few through my classes and i always like them i always feel like they're like their personality is like labrador but they're in this tiny little body yeah but the sort of energy and enthusiasm and food motivation and trainability is like a labrador so i've kind of always really liked that um yeah. obviously we can't have italian greyhounds with boisterous high energy gundog breeds because all their legs will probably get broken so <laughs> so <laughs> we can't have them at the moment <laughs> maybe one day no i, I maybe do, i do like i do love them yeah they're they're actually I think I would even say they're more popular in in Glasgow than Gundog. Oh, really? There's not so, there's not so many of them that I've had in my honestly. Yeah, yeah, they're on every corner. Oh wow! <laughs> so come visit us, and I'll introduce you to. Them. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think we sort of covered covered the main questions. There was one about, but I think we already answered it. But um, see, like all newest breeds, like mixes. Um, I'm probably talking about doodles mostly <laughs> yeah um did they are they did they perform good in um in gun in general in gun dog training but as you said it's so so universal that like probably yeah. any dog can well, do any it dog can, but in terms of like specifically how suited are they to gun dog training I mean, it depends very much on what is behind the, the doodle so you know some obviously they're often they're crossed with spaniels or with labradors and so you'd want to be thinking is that a working bred spaniel labrador they've been crossed with or is that a showbred spaniel labrador they've been crossed with um so that would that would be one thing you can think about um poodles are very trainable as well so that you know they're originally gun dogs poodles so so um that's a good thing but it's going to be quite sort of dependent on the individual dog and the specific mix that is behind them and how it manifests itself in that dog so so would yeah. you try different i don't know because i'm thinking obviously when i have different gun dog breeds i would think about the different things that are going to motivate those dogs and obviously then you look into individual dog but you know you're gonna you're gonna know that retriever is probably gonna have more fun retrieving than i don't know um maybe other breeds or is going to be more keen to do that um but when you have doodles do you just i don't know test and try <laughs> like see? well I think if you know if they if they were bred with a spaniel, then you'd probably be training them as if they were a spaniel. If they're bred with a labrador, training them as if they were a labrador, and just see what they get to. Yeah, but they couldn't participate in the 
competitions or could you sorry because i feel like the competition world is very far from what i do so it might yeah. sound silly but no they couldn't they couldn't participate in, in in kennel club registered um competitions but the gundog club which is an organization which is force free um and you can work your way through various different grades starting at grade one and going up to grade five they take all breeds of dogs so i think you don't even have to have a gun dog so you could have like your collie or whatever could work through the gun dog club grades um so yeah i mean you can do something with these dogs and on shoots people have all kinds of dogs as long as the dog is useful on a shoot then people yeah. are really happy to have it there so but how are they judged then because obviously like you're gonna have a little bit different um judging of retriever or spaniel so if you have a breed that's neither of those or or a mix of one is there a difference in like how they're judged or well if you a... if you're talking about a shoot because yeah you wouldn't be able to judge them because they wouldn't be able to compete but if if you're working the dog on a shoot then it would just be how how good are they at doing the particular role which they're in that day right. so the dog's either beating and putting up game so you'd want the dog to be bustling around looking for game going through the undergrowth and putting it up but also staying under control so not running away into the next drive and disturbing game which you haven't got to yet and able to come back when they're called um and that sort of thing so you want a dog which is you know, useful in that way, in terms of putting up the birds for the guns to shoot. Um, and if they're picking up the dog, which is able to go and find the game and bring it back and has a soft mouth and um, deliver it to hand. So, so yeah, I mean, it just it would just depend on how useful the dog is able to be in any of those roles that they want. Nice. I feel like I've learned something <laughs> <laughs> new. I mean, um, so before I finish, because I'm not going to hold you for too long, but so if person wanted to maybe explore gun dog training a little bit more or like maybe the comp- competition side of that um and if they wanted to train with you where can they find you yes yeah, so they can check out my website um, which is forcefreegundog.com and there's lots of online courses which they can take there and some of them actually even if you don't want to do gun dog stuff you just as we said you want to just have a dog which is under control in a real environment they're really good courses which you can do there so like the reliable recall course is a great place to start or the heel course. These are really co- good courses for, for anyone really with any breed of dog. And they, actually the methods that I use are the same methods that I used to use in my sort of regular classes where I took all breeds of dogs. So they're not like gun dog specific in any way, um, apart from they use whistles for the recall, but I think whistles are great anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. And then I've got my um, book, Force Free Gun Dog Training. Yeah, read the book. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good basic um, book going into basic gun dog training. And I've just finished the sequel, actually. I just finished the first draft of the sequel, which is a more advanced book. Um, So we need to sort of get it illustrated and designed and everything. But yeah, there will be another book coming out. Um, Yeah, That's probably the most weighted book for me because (laughs) I I read the first one. Well, that was how I I think. I mean, if you notice, I was having the big fangirl moment all this time because (laughs) when I got into like a little bit more into gun dogs and into gun dog training, you were sort of the the first big name that I found. (laughs) And then I remember reading the book and I was like, this all just makes so much sense. So yeah. if yeah, if whoever and everyone actually can get their hands on on that book, get it. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's on Amazon everywhere, so everybody should be able to get it, really. Yeah, or or if you if you're nice, I can borrow. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for finding time. I think that is us for today. But I'm, 
I'm definitely well, going to keep in touch with you. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's good. It was, sorry, no, it's really good course. to promote gun dog training, I think, for, for more yeah. dogs in general. I would really want it to become a little bit more popular. Maybe it is. I'm not really like seeing this in maybe our area, but because there is a lot of a lot of gun dogs and walking in the city, and it kind of hurts my heart a little bit to see them um, trained with maybe <laughs> aversive. Um, yeah. tools because yeah people just get a little bit disappointed maybe when when they see that it is a hard work <laughs> with with a high energy dog but yeah i mean i think the thing to say in, in a sort of general way is that if you allow spaces and vacuums and emptiness in your time with your dog your dog will find ways to fill that so your dog will you know find the rabbits to chase and find the poop to eat and the dead things to eat and you know if you keep your dog busy and working and focused on you and you teach your dog that when we go out and about the purpose of it is to engage with me and to work with me and to train with me and we have fun together outdoors then that's what your dog is going to learn to do and there won't be all those opportunities and empty spaces and gaps for the dog to go off and entertain themselves with does that make sense and that's yeah. how you end up with a well-trained dog you're just not letting them have those gaps and spaces and time to themselves especially when they're young when they're learning what is reinforcing um is to keep them preoccupied and busy and working with you i generally think that's the best way to finish this conversation like yeah I've, i'm gonna put this up as a quote because <laughs> <laughs> if i can if if there's anything they're taking away from this podcast is exactly that like the the main kind of um idea yeah, yeah because because you know you get a dog and you obviously want the best for for them but i feel like just a lot of people are a, a little bit lost so yeah and use all the information that we discussed today and then yeah i i don't know if you agree with that but i feel like when we as you said like when you go on a walk the walk is for you and your dog but not just it's not just mindless walking you should be paying attention to your dog yeah. so it shouldn't be eyes on the on the phone you know and then cause, yeah because from be there to your dog in yeah. a sort of invisible way there's always a connection a relationship between you and the dog and that's what you're building with the dog so you've got to build the relationship so that it exists when you're out and about in distracting places and it's strong enough to to continue to exist in the presence of distractions yeah and and, and i think just to finish off um there's also should be like you should think of how quickly you're increasing those distractions because there's going to be a big difference, you know, when when you train indoors or like in a quiet area and then you go into the middle of, I don't know, the main road on, in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you know, if you're, if you're good with, with the quiet area, you shouldn't just straight away jump to the busiest one. Um, and this is where a lot of things go wrong because um, we just fall, fall into that, like... Um, I don't know, fake, yeah. fake thinking that we got there. Like that's it, the training ends, and then now my dog's ready for every and any occasion. Yeah, which is not true at all. Yeah. <laughs> Especially well, it's all about just working with, like, like when I tend to find that people, when they go out into different in places, whether it's the city or whether it's a wood or you know wherever it is, that they tend to have this idea of just of walking and of moving through the environment and moving through the wood. And what that does is it, it means the environment's constantly changing. So we've got new pavement and we've got new smells and we've got a lamppost and we've got people going past and we've got, you know, everything's changing. And in the wood, you've got like new smells and new game scent and new, you know, there's so 
so if you keep providing unending novelty in the environment and you are pretty boring because the dog knows what you are and what treats you've got, then you're going to end up the dog getting more and more into the environment. Whereas if you just stand still, you immediately remove novelty from the dog. So they're going to habituate to everything that's around them. And then you can start to work on building focus on you without yeah. moving, you know. So I think a lot of people just jump to moving rapidly through yeah, because we know our blog that we need to finish our lunchtime walk block <laughs> around yeah. around like three streets and we're very limited on time. So we just need to finish it as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, I mean, so that, that's a, I often, yeah, so that's a human approach. So I would say rather than having this route in your head that you have to take, think about amount of time. So if it's 20 minutes, it usually takes to walk around the block, then go out for 20 minutes, but just find a spot and stand still and do training with your dog in that spot for 20 minutes. Or if you find your dog gets really good after 10 minutes, then move on and find one more spot and do 10 minutes in another spot, you know? So think about time rather than distance traveled. Yeah, and your dog's going to get enough physical <laughs> exercise. Through yeah, that well, they'll get more theory. mental exercise yeah. because of all the training that you're able to do because you're not just walking along. Um, and you can always introduce like tuggy or something if you want to do more sort of physical exercise. Yeah absolutely perfect thank you so much joe cool I'll... it's been great to speak with you no, thanks, thanks for inviting me along. <laughs> and we'll be in touch okay excellent bye. thanks guys bye bye, bye, -bye.